So after college, I moved to New Hampshire to take a job as a first grade teacher. And I moved next door to a family that I already knew. And in fact, one of their daughters was, was in that first grade class that I taught. I would drive her to school every day. Uh, I would play in their backyard. I would eat dinner in their home. And we were always amazed at her ability to create two different people in her life. At school, I was always Mr. Syverson. And at home, I was always Dan. And over the years, uh, these next-door neighbors became my closest friends. And I could spend my entire time telling you stories about the Nelson family. I could tell you about the one day their dad marched their daughters into my house to, t- to apologize to me for stealing my candy when I wasn't there. And if you know me, that's a big deal for me. Um, or I could tell you how my dog got revenge on them by getting into their house and going to the girls' rooms and eating their Halloween candy one year. Uh, when, I, when I married Kelly and she moved in, their youngest son asked Kelly if she was going to sleep on the top bunk or the bottom. Um, Neither of us had keys to our house, so it was always unlocked. The doors were always open, and we were always in and out of each other's house. In fact, one day I took one of those phone surveys, because there's really not much to do in New Hampshire, and uh, one of the things, one of the questions they asked is, how many days a year are you inside your neighbor's house? And I remember answering, and I said, well, there's 365 days in a year, so let's go with 363. And they stopped, and they said, why are you in your neighbor's house so much? <laughs> and it's simply because they, they are my friends. And so when, when Kelly and I moved here four years ago, uh, we, we quickly realized that the chances of having a relationship like that with our next-door neighbor were, were very small. Because the truth is, that's the exception today. It's not the norm anymore. Research backs this up. Four, four decades ago, a question was asked, How often do you see your neighbors? And one-third of the people said, I spend at least two days a week with my next-door neighbors. Today, that same percentage, one-third, responds by saying, I don't know the name of my next-door neighbor. And this isn't a surprise to to any of us, because most of us don't know our next-door neighbors. Chances are you know more about The Bachelorette, LeBron James, or Taylor Swift than you do about your next-door neighbor. And and experts have said that one of the reasons for this is that we just lack the social capital to engage with our next-door neighbors. Because of communication and transportation, we can spend time with our family and other friends and co-workers and classmates. So by the time we get home, we literally have nothing left to give. And we've turned our homes into little sanctuaries that we can retreat to inside or our fenced-in backyards into a quiet oasis for ourselves. And so I want to today suggest a new way forward. I want to suggest that that as Christ Church, we we look for a new way to interact with our neighbors. And it's not new. I mean, it's old. It's really old. Jesus said, love your neighbor. Paul said that you can can obey the entire law if you just love your neighbor as yourself. And we know that they are talking much bigger than our next-door neighbor, right? And that Jesus actually seeks to include so many more people than maybe what we would initially think who our neighbor is and to stretch us and push us outside our comfort zone. And so a lot of what we talk about today could very much uh, go with your coworkers or your classmates or, or other people that you know. But, but one of the problems is that when you aim for everything, you tend to hit nothing. 
And so today, I want us to focus on our literal next-door neighbors. That's who I want you to have in mind as we work through what it looks like to, to neighbor well. We will not return to the Gospel of Luke as a church until after the fall series. And if you've been a part of the church for more than a year, you know that the fall series is really geared towards two big initiatives. Getting you into small groups and getting your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers into the church, maybe for the first time. Pastor Mike has been been writing this book that's different than anything else he's ever written before. And we're going to use it differently than we've ever used one of his books before. He's writing it for you to give to your friends in hopes that it would start a conversation about the future before the fall even comes. And that those conversations would help lead, lead them back to God. And so I want to just lay some groundwork on how we can invest in our literal next-door neighbors throughout the summer as we look ahead to the fall. And we look ahead to maybe you handing them a book and saying, hey, let's, let's read this and have a conversation about this. And so if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to work out of the book of Acts. Chapters 16 and 17, we're going to be looking at uh, both chapters. Our primary passage this morning is going to be Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. And I'll get there in just a few minutes, but let me just, let me just sh- talk to you about what's going on in Acts chapter 16 and 17. Paul is on his second missionary journey. And remember, this is the same guy who committed his life to wiping out Christianity and killing any Christians he could find. But after an experience with Jesus Christ... His life changed radically, and he went from wiping out Christianity to becoming a witness of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so he's on his second missionary journey, and in Acts chapter 16, it tells us he wants to go to Asia. And it says on two occasions he tries to get into Asia, and on two occasions the Holy Spirit stops him. This has always fascinated me. Here's Paul, ready to take the gospel into a new land. And the Holy Spirit prevents him from going. And he has a dream, and it's a man from Macedonia. And he's, and he's pleading with Paul to come that direction. And it says that Paul responds immediately, that they get up and they head that direction. Right? And, and if you look at chapter 16, uh, verse 11, 10, it says, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And it kicks off a series of just remarkable events. He starts in Philippi, and he comes across a group of women, proclaims the gospel, and Lydia, her heart is open to the truth. Her and her household get baptized. Eventually, things go bad, and he gets thrown in jail. And in jail, through a remarkable series of events, the shackles come off, the door is open, he's free to go, but he stays. And when the jailer, realizing that they've probably escaped, is prepared to kill himself as a result— sees that Paul is still there and responds by saying, what must I do to be saved? And him and his household get baptized. Then he goes on to Thessalonica, and he goes right to the synagogue, and he starts proclaiming the gospel. And it doesn't go well. In fact, it goes so bad, riots break out in the street, and they're forced to flee. And so they go to Berea. And what does he do? Why not? Right back to the synagogue in Berea, proclaiming the gospel again. But this time, hearts are open. It says they examined the scriptures. And that prominent women and men accepted Christ on that day. Stephanie Hayes leads a, a Bible study in Highland Park with a messianic rabbi for both Jews and Christians. And when I often think of Highland Park, I think, I hope it more, is more like Berea than Thessalonica. I hope that when my Jewish friends and neighbors hear the gospel, that it causes them to examine the scripture and not break out in riots in the street. 
And so he would leave Berea, and he would, he would go on to Athens, and that's where we find our passage in chapter 17, starting in verse 24. Paul is walking around Athens, and he is amazed by the spiritual curiosity of the people. He even sees a, an inscription on an idol that says, to an unknown God, and so he says, well, let me tell you about this God that you don't know. So read with me, starting in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, and that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. He is actually not far from each one of us. That verse 27, or I'm sorry, verse 26, has been a, a game changer for me. Because what Paul is saying as he proclaims the gospel is that, is that God has marked out times and places of people. And the first thing I want you to know about neighboring today is that God has placed you in this time and in this place. Do you know why you live where you live? I live at 880 Deerfield Road in Highland Park. Stop by any time. My wife said it was risky to give my address out to so many people. But, but our story makes sense. We moved to Illinois four years ago so I could attend Trinity. Uh, we found our first apartment on a, on a housing database on Trinity's website, and so we lived on the second floor of a house in Lake Forest for our first two and a half years here. And after I graduated Trinity, we wanted to move uh, closer to Highland Park, and we had two main reasons. Uh, we were attending the Highland Park campus at the time, and, and the majority of our small group lived in Highland Park, and so we wanted to get closer to Highland Park. And the second reason was we were preparing to get a bigger apartment because we were in the adoption process, and we were expecting to, to have a child soon, and so we wanted to get into something a little bit bigger. And so we found our apartment on Craigslist, met with the landlord, and now we've been there for two years. You want to talk about God ordering your steps, right? Now I'm campus pastor at Christ Church, which was, which was never part of our plan, and we live two blocks from the church. But why do you live where you live? What's your story? Maybe you grew up in your house. Maybe you got transferred here because of a job. Maybe you chose to move to this area. Maybe you picked your house because it was the most affordable, or maybe you picked it because you love the neighborhood. Whatever the reason may be, have you seen God in that story? Do you know that the reason you have for living where you do is because God was working it out to put you exactly where he wants you? And he hasn't just done it with you. He's done it with your literal next-door neighbors. And Paul says in verse 27, why? And if you see verse 27, that they should seek out and perhaps reach out to God and find him. And so it, it has caused me to draw this conclusion. If God has placed my neighbors in this place at this time in hopes that they would reach out to him and find him, then he has placed me in this place at this time to be a witness of Jesus so that God could reveal himself to my neighbors. Paul understood this. That's why as soon as he realized where God was sending him, he knew we're being called to proclaim the gospel to them. When you came in this morning, you should have received a little handout. We call this a block map. It says, who is my neighbor at the top? It looks like a tic-tac-toe board. Your house is in the middle, surrounded by eight boxes. Those eight boxes represent your eight closest neighbors. 
So if you live in a house, the eight closest homes to you. If you live in an apartment building, the eight closest apartments to yours. Uh, my wife and I live in a, in a neighborhood of multi-unit fam- houses, and so the, our eight closest neighbors are actually within three houses of each other. We started studying this as a small group this past spring, and one of our friends, Brenda, whose story is in the bulletin, uh, was there that first night, and she was talking about her frustration, about how she doesn't know the people that live in her apartment building. She lives in downtown Highland Park, and she would talk about how people are in and out of the hallway so quickly, you never even see them, not to mention get to know them. And we talked through that that night, and we talked about, well, maybe it's like a, maybe you throw a meet and greet, and you start, you invite them into your apartment to get to know them. And so she left that night thinking, maybe, and maybe eventually down the road, that's something that I can do. A few days later, she showed up to church Sunday morning. She can't get to me fast enough, and she says, Pastor Dan, you know what I'm doing tonight? I'm throwing a meet and greet. I called some friends. They're going to help me do it. I went and put invitations on every door in the apartment building, and I called the landlords. They can't come, but they're sending food from Sunset for us. And, and, and that night, she had nine of her neighbors show up. And because of her intentional choices, her neighbors are no longer strangers, and they're becoming friends. I have some maps I want to show you that are literally going to bring this right into your neighborhood. This first map is the North Shore, from Evanston to Waukegan and out west. You have a story for why you live somewhere on this map. This next map is our three campuses, Crossroads, Lake Forest, and Highland Park. We used to be one church in one site, and and as we've grown, we've decided not to stay put, but instead we are one church with multiple locations. And as a result, we are more united around the area, and the kingdom of God is moving forward and growing. And this last map is you, every single one of you. This is the best representation of Christ Church because you are the church. This doesn't even include other people who go to other churches, right? Other brothers and sisters who are around you that love Jesus. And this map looks really good zoomed out like this. We're all on top of each other. You know, we've got all these clusters around the North Shore. But the reality is if you were to zoom in on this map, what you would see is your street with maybe one or or two markers. Why? You know why. Not all your neighbors love Jesus. And God has placed them in their time, in this time, and in their place, in hopes that if they would reach out to him, they would find him. And he's asked you to love them. And so so to, to neighbor well, we recognize that we are in this time, in this place, because that's where God wants us. The the next thing we want to know and understand about, about neighboring is. Neighboring requires us to pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on us. I first came across that line in a book called Circle Makers by Mark Batterson, who who talks about drawing circles around our prayer requests and praying until God answers. And he calls on us to pray with persistence and confidence, trust, humility, and anticipation. And we see that Paul understood the need to pray. Right? I mean, obviously his desire to go into Asia and his redirection towards Macedonia was a result of his praying and his listening well to the Spirit. Uh, when he was in jail in Philippi, it says that Paul and Silas spent their time praying and, and, and worshiping. In his letter to the Philippians, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. 
Throughout his letters, he would say different things. All about prayer. When he wrote Colossians, he said, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. To Timothy, he said, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. When he wrote to the people of Thessalonica, where riots were breaking out of the streets when the gospel was proclaimed, he simply just said, pray continually. And prayer is a tricky thing. And the reality is, for most of us, prayer is not our first response. It's not our our go-to when it comes time to do the work the Lord has called us to do. In in my own life, uh, prayer has been a much-needed area for growth. And and just this year, I I have committed to to both understanding prayer more and, and, and growing my own discipline of prayer in my life. And we could, again, we could spend lots of time on prayer. And Pastor Mike's done a wonderful job teaching us about prayer and and pushing us to pray over the years. I just want to give you two things that I've learned as a result of what God has been doing in my life this year with prayer. Because as I have sought to understand and know, it has been both frustrating and exhilarating as God has broken down things that I thought were true and has reteaching me the truth behind prayer. Uh, The first would be uh, that prayer changes me and keeps me focused. There's a quote out there. I don't know who it's attributed to. Uh, It's it's popped up at different times throughout history. But it says, if you want to see revival, draw a circle on the ground, step inside that circle, and pray for everybody inside the circle. Because life change starts in my life. It starts in your life. And anything that comes out of that is simply a result of what God is doing in our lives. And I have learned that as I have sought to to understand prayer and pray more, that that he is doing something in my own heart. I I, I love my neighbor. I want to love my neighbors. I want to know my neighbors. And and it keeps me focused on that. Kelly would tell you that I've become a neighbor stalker. That that, uh, I am so intent on, on, on meeting them and knowing them and spending time with them. And the second is this. God reserves some of his greatest action for people who are willing to pray for it. This continues to be a mystery for me. I don't always understand it, but I can't deny the truth of it in Scripture. All throughout the Bible, we see God doing great things as a result of people who are praying for him to do something. Jesus would say, you do not have because you do not ask. Paul would beg and plead with people to pray. James would say, if you need something, pray for it. If you're sick, pray for it. Elijah, when he needed rain, he prayed and asked for rain. God reserves some of that. And I would ask you, if prayer is not your first response, I would encourage you to ask the question, why? Why don't you turn to prayer? If we look back at our passage in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 24, Look how Paul begins his proclamation of the gospel, right? The God, creator and Lord of the heavens and the earth, not contained by human hands, not being served by human hands because he needs it. For he has made all, does all, and controls all. Paul sees the greatness of God. And because he sees the greatness of God, and he knows that he's doing something that only God can do, He prays and asks God to do it. We pray like it depends on God because it does. It doesn't stop with prayer. 
Shane Claiborne, author, would say that often you are the answers to your own prayers. And so as we seek to love our neighbor, and we seek for our neighbors to know and love Jesus, we pray that that would happen. We pray that they would know and love Jesus. But we don't stop there, right? When Paul met Lydia and that group of women, if you look closely in chapter 16, he was leaving town to go pray. But instead, he came across this group of women and said, time to get to work, and he proclaimed the gospel. He was praying in the jail. He was praying when he got redirected to Macedonia. Um, And at the same time, he was proclaiming the gospel, getting to know the people and, and, and going to the synagogues of the cities he was traveling in. We pray like it depends on God. We work like it depends on us. And I recognize this can be a bit of a a misguided statement as well. Because the danger is that we just recognize, we just say like, well, if I pray hard enough and if I work hard enough, then then I will succeed. And, And that is very much the American way of looking at our work. That the harder I work, the more successful I become. And and, the, and part of the reason for that is that in our culture, we have taken success and we base success off of results, right? You don't have to look any farther than the most recent NBA finals to see this, right? Cleveland Cavaliers beat the Golden State Warriors. If you've seen anything about it the last week, you've seen LeBron James is a hero, right? Everyone is singing his praises. And Steph Curry, who has been the just wildly successful player, all of a sudden is being questioned because they lost. And, and if that result changed, you would have heard the exact opposite this week. Because we tie success to results. But that's not the biblical view of success. Because if we looked at Paul with that same lens, we would say, well, Philippi was a pretty good success. Uh, he did get thrown in jail. Thessalonica was a failure. Why did he do that? Berea, yeah, that looked like a really good success story. But that's not the truth. The truth is, Paul was successful everywhere he went, not because of the results, but because of his faithfulness to follow what God was asking him to do. Success is not about the results that you have in neighboring. Success is being faithful to where God has placed you and what he's asking you to do. And then Paul lets the results left to God. And with leaving the results with God kind of brings us to our our third point about neighboring. Make new friends, not new projects. We have turned this call to love our neighbors into this project to convert people. Somewhere along the line, we we lost our way a little bit. And and loving our neighbor meant we have to convict them of their sins and make them believe. And as a result, the church is now being labeled unloving, intolerant, unaccepting. Right? You've probably heard it. Maybe you've said it. I feel more judged in church than I feel loved. Because we've, we've taken on this role of, of, of convictor and judge. When the truth is, the Holy Spirit does the convicting. God does the judging. And he has freed us to simply love our neighbors. We don't have to be weighted down by this pressure of convincing someone to love Jesus. We just have to love them well. We can be friends with people who don't agree with us. We can be friends with people who do things different than us. Think about Paul in that prison. 
When, when, when it opened, he could have left, but he stayed. And when the prison guard was ready to kill himself, Paul was there to lead him to Christ. Let me tell you what this has looked like in my life this year. So back in the fall, our small group was really wrestling with the tension of how to stay intimate and vulnerable, and at the same time, be open and inviting. We wanted to be on mission together, but we also wanted to stay small and closed. And so we came up with this idea that that over the past year we've been been doing, and we decided that once a month, we were going to take a break from our normal small group routine and schedule, and that we were just going to host a dinner event. And everyone in the small group that, that week would invite people in their life, neighbors or friends, um, w- with a keen eye on those that don't go to church or go to church but aren't really connected at the church. And we would invite them in, and we called it the family table. And, and the goal of the evening was simple. It was good food, good wine, and good conversation. In hopes that people would see the, 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 the tightness of a Christ-centered community. The first family that started coming was Jake and Coral. And they came a couple times uh, over the span of a few months. And uh, they loved Jesus. And eventually they started coming to Christ Church Highland Park. And by January, they had joined our small group every week. And I cannot tell you the amount of times that Kelly and I have been blessed by Jake and Coral over the last six months. And just in such a short time, the friendship that has developed and continues to develop. One week, Coral walks into a small group, and she's talking about a coworker. Coral is a stylist at a salon in Highland Park, and she's talking about a coworker who's trying to become a stylist. And to get a spot on the floor, you have to accomplish getting 10 new customers to call in and, and request you as a stylist. And once you hit that goal, then you can get on the floor and be assigned a chair. And so Coral was asking if anyone that hadn't been to the salon before would, would do that. And I happen to qualify for never being to that salon in Highland Park. I actually qualify for never being in any salon. (laughs) Up until this point, my haircuts was like a game of Clue. My wife with the clippers in the living room. (laughs) And so I said, sure. I said, yeah, I'll I'll go. And I didn't go because I needed a haircut. I went because she needed help. And I had an opportunity to, to love her well. And we've decided since, so that was a few months ago, we've decided since that I would continue to go back to be an encouragement to her until she builds up her clientele. She's on the floor now, and, you know, if you know anything about uh, salons and stylists, man, it takes time to build up, you know, and, and have people help you. So, so why not come alongside them and say, yeah, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll be your customer. And over time, you know, we've gotten to know each other well. I've seen her a couple places around Highland Park. Uh, it's, been, it's been good. In fact, I got my hair cut this past week, and as I left— uh, her words to me, she doesn't go to church, was, I hope your sermon goes well this weekend. Another friend of Coral's, another co-worker of Coral's, uh, Jake and Coral invited her and her family to come to family table, and so they came a couple times throughout the spring. Uh, another new family that, that, that I, I did not know, uh, and they came a couple times to the family table, and they actually came a couple other times to small group on, on other nights, and uh, they eventually visited here at Christ Church Lake Forest. And then a couple weeks later, they got a loaf of bread from our bread ministry team saying, thanks for visiting. It was was great to meet you. She brings that loaf of bread into this salon in Highland Park, and it's just uh, just kind of bragging just about how loved she felt. And on that day, in that salon in Highland Park, the love of Christ was being felt by so many. And for me, five people that 12 months ago I didn't know 
Trust me when I tell you, it's much more fun making new friends. I have a chart up here that, that, that kind of demonstrates this a little bit, right? It's a relationship spectrum, right? Uh, the hope is first to move from stranger to acquaintance. Most of us, our neighbors are strangers. And if you know some of your neighbors, I would, ho- I would imagine there's at least one that you don't. And to move from stranger to acquaintance, that's what the block map's for. Because the first step is knowing somebody's name. Uh, while I was at Trinity, I worked for Midtown Athletic Club, and, and I worked at the front desk, and, and for years I would greet people as they were walking through the door, and as you do that, you, you get to know the names of the people that are walking in, and you know, this habit of using their name as they come in. And as a result, you, you start to get to know them more. You get to know who they are, what they do, and, and many of those became friendships. Not, not I see you every week friends, but when I would see them, right, we were, we were friendly to each other, and it all started with knowing their name. And I haven't been there for more than a year now, and can I tell you, I miss a lot of people from Midtown. And it started just by simply knowing names of people as they were coming in. And I can guarantee you this, if you don't know the names of your neighbors, right, you will always be a stranger to them. And chances are, you'll just be some story, right? My story for people that don't know me is probably, that's our crazy neighbor whose dog always gets out and runs around the neighborhood, right? So start by simply knowing your name. And it might be awkward at first, right? You might have to go knock on a door and say, Hi, I've lived next to you for seven years, and I don't know your name. Right? But it's never too late to learn your neighbor's names. And then you want to move from acquaintance to relationship. Right? You don't want to just stop at your neighbors being an acquaintance, but you want to develop a relationship and, and a friendship with them. And, and on the back side of your card, it says invest and invite. And you've heard this language around the church. We, we are encouraging all of us to invest and invite in people around us. Because the way you move from a relationship is you spend time with them. Right? And so each card has, has ideas about the neighborhood around your campus and things you can invite uh, neighbors to do with you. So in Highland Park, we have Ravinia, the Botanic Gardens, the Rosewood Beach, parks and playgrounds, and I can invite my neighbors to come along with me to, to one of those places. Right? Or we've got the 4th of July Parade, the, the Port Clinton Art Festival, Farmer's Markets, Wednesday morning in Ravinia, Wednesday night in Highwood, Saturday morning in Glencoe, and I can invite my neighbors to, to come join me to go, go one of those and spend some time together. Sometimes the easiest thing to do is just to invite your neighbors to do what you're already doing. If you're going to walk up to Dairy Queen to get an ice cream cone, go knock on your neighbor's door and see if they want to go with you. Right? If, you're, if you're going to be watching a game, go, go see if your neighbors want to come join you to watch that game, because chances are they might be watching it too. Right? And, you know, we see Paul as he travels from, from city to city, right? He goes to where the people are. <clears throat> we don't even have to do that. Because the people are already right next to us. We just have to go and make some friends. As I've been preparing for this sermon, my goal was not to, to deliver something that you would remember for a long time. Now, my hope today is pretty simple. My hope is that this would move the needle for you just a little bit. Because right? when, I, when I talk to people about neighboring, what I, one of the things I hear most of is what it used to be like. Right? I remember when I lived on a street where everybody knew their name. Right? I, I remember when I, when I lived on a street where people sat on the front porch and talked to you when you walked by. Or I remember when I used to go ask my neighbor for a, an egg or a cup of sugar. Or I remember block parties. But 
being a good neighbor was pretty standard in an American neighborhood, but that has certainly changed over time, right? And, you know, you could throw out things like, right, busyness, television, air conditioning, garages, all kinds of different things that have pushed us towards isolation inside our homes, inside our fenced-in backyards, and as a result, our neighbors are simply invisible neighbors. Either we don't see them, or we don't know them. And the truth is, someone who engages with their neighbor is going to be a little different. You might, it might seem weird. It might seem invasive. It will certainly set you apart. But there is a void in our neighborhoods. People don't know each other. As a result, you're more likely to be feared than known by your neighbors. So I hope the needle moves for you today. I hope that when you, when you leave Christ Church today, that, that you would consider what that next step is for you. Right? Maybe it is walking next door and just introducing yourself and saying, hey, I don't really know you. Why don't you join our family for dinner tonight so we can get to know each other? Maybe it's, it's following the lead of Brenda and putting invitations on all the doors in your apartment and hosting a meet and greet. Or maybe it's time for your small group to to stop being so focused on each other and go on mission together and figure out what it would look like for your group to invite people into to experience a Christ-centered community. Rachel Platten has a song called Fight Song. And the lyrics say this, Like a small boat on the ocean sending big waves into motion. Like how a single word can make a heart open. I might only have one match, but I can make an explosion. Whatever it is for you, take the next step. Recognize that God has placed you in this time and this place. He has placed your neighbors next to you, and he has asked you to love them. I look forward to meeting your neighbors here at Christ Church one day. Let me pray for you. Father, I... Uh, uh, thankful and grateful that you have loved us so much that, that, that we have the opportunity to stand here together and share the love you have for us with our neighbors. Father, give us the courage and the boldness to know our neighbors, love our neighbors well, and become friends. And God, as they perhaps reach out to you and find you, Lord, give us the strength to be a witness of you to help our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers find their way back to you. It's in your name we pray.